Hello, I'm your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 31 from acmescience.com. On this week's episode, we discuss why the bridge explodes, exactly how many pigeons you can shove into uh, some holes, and various other very important topics. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the mathematical podcast that comes to you from a secret location in the Las Vegas Valley area. Eventually we will tell you the secret location so it's no longer secret and we can have an audience because, you know, we do like performing for people. Well, in front of people. Except by then, hopefully we're not performing in here and no, the secret no, location will to. have changed. Okay, well... I, I kind of... Mostly I just want to... In advance, let me tell you future audience members... You don't want to be who you are, or, or something. You don't. You don't want you to be in the audience in here. Change your identities. <laughs> and you I, come I think, walk into this room. I think what Nathan is saying is you don't want to be in here <laughs> as an audience member. Yeah, I don't. Why know. not? You just feel chill out. You know, sit on the sit on the chair that if you recline too far makes weird cracky noises. Oh God, that scares me every time because it gives out a little bit and makes a cracky noise. So you're like. I mean, it, you, for a split second, you think you are falling to your death. And, <laughs> and by and then death, it you mean you. Uh, like a foot and a half because it's, yeah. it's you're a not chair. Thinking, you're not really thinking for that second and a half, though. You're just yeah. falling and thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm really worried about these cracking noises. I've never heard a cracking noise before. It just, it like, you know, pops the sound, the sound of pops. like plastic kind of making a crack. You know, it's like it's about to break, that kind of sound. Yeah. You know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, like walking a tightrope and, you know, all of a sudden... Oops. Okay, I don't think we actually want to get into that. So That's now that most... everyone has talked, how about I introduce you? <laughs> we have with us, once again, probably not for the last time, as much as that pains me to say, the original members of the panel. No, not really panel. panel. Yeah, I, I'm mm. not going to go with the panel. It's, it's more of a panel now than it used to be, though. You know, we're no longer around like a circular table. Uh, it's it's much more panelish. I sit up here and then I look out to my panel. So uh, the original guests on it combinations. It used to be like King Arthur, where we were all even, but now you're the king. Yeah, well, well, I was I was way. always the king because oh, I'm okay. the host. Okay. I'm your host, Samuel <laughs> Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations. <laughs> it's because I have the sultry voice, and I think I just like really blew into the mic bad so it's gonna really fuck up people no it's chris it's chris who keeps on doing it stop laughing into the mic or is it you what i have a i have a i have a you know the the spit screen yeah, over right. my microphone what... so it shouldn't happen <laughs> uh, yeah. is that the sound of crickets as i just continue on this weird diatribe okay so introducing my guests the original guests of combinations and permutations back once again to torment me that would be the man who is able to grow a hat on top of his head whenever he needs one. That's right. He has a superpower now. Anthony Solari. And apparently, <laughs> all of our most common experiences are that we've all walked tightropes. 
Which is why Chris explains everything in terms of walking tightropes. <laughs> That's not a superpower. It's just a super ability. Yeah. Tightrope walking And that ability. voice is the man who is perpetually on the bench. But we called him up for today. Because we had nobody else. Nathan Rowe. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I want to give a shout out to Mikkel, who will get up to this podcast in approximately, I don't know, like two weeks or something. <laughs> <laughs> he, he started listening, which is, you know, good oh, for yeah. you. Uh, yeah, we, we do have to give a couple of shout outs to other people. Uh, I'll look up one person in particular who really needs to get one because uh, he was really, really awesome. Uh because he was the one who let us know that I had accidentally left the next guest phone number in the podcast. Did, did you hear about the or, uh, Hey, oh, uh, uh, did you hear about this third guest? Okay, now make make a long <laughs> beepy noise so I can edit it in over oh. over. Beep. The, okay, that's good. I'll I'll take that out. I'll edit it back in over our next guest name. The one, the only, the undergraduate, and the man who finished off the food today, Christopher Bates. Hey, I'm not just on the panel. I'm one of those enterprise panels that blows up and kills some random red shirt. <laughs> yeah, I love... Um, yeah, really, the bridge does seem a death trap. I know. Like, what do they have? Like, grenades under each panel <laughs> yeah, on the enterprise? <laughs> Excuse me, we, yeah, we, we've had a explodes. slight crack in our outer hull. Boom! <laughs> Grenade yeah. goes off. That's how they. That's how red shirt dies. You know there's a problem. Maybe, <laughs> maybe in the future they've learned that human beings actually tend to tend to react better and more like more quickly when their adrenaline is pumping. And so when they are actually in real danger, they create explosions in the bridge so that even the people <laughs> on the bridge have their adrenaline pumping. So it's they like can the engine like light turns things. on. Some somebody dies. Oh, the engine light's on. We should go check that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, it was it was Henrik Matson. Thank uh, you, Henrik. Actually, thank you. Chris. Yeah, Chris you, should Chris, be the one you, who you do says this. thank you. Henrik, thank you. Uh, he's not going to actually keep my phone number, is he? Uh, Henrik, if, if you still have access to that original <laughs> original one, call Chris. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Chris, one, uh, first of all, likes to randomly call people. Second of all, he really likes random calls. So call him <laughs> preferably 3 a.m., He'll be awake. He'll be awake. Uh, He'll be doing something. Pacific time on a Friday <laughs> or a Saturday. He will be awake, and he will probably be really fun to listen to at that point. So Pac- call him up. Pacific time? Like, Chris is barely woken up by then. <laughs> at 3 a.m.? <laughs> no, Pacific time, that's what, early. noon here? We're on Pacific time. Wait. Nathan's Pacific, not awake. Atlantic. Pacific, <laughs> it's it's Atlantic. Eastern <laughs> Central Mountain Pacific. Mediterranean. Martian. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. You're right. You're right. Pacific is the ocean to the west. Yes. Uh, And and yeah, so Henry, (laughs) uh, your prize for alerting me to my horrible editing screw up uh, is not only that you got, uh, you know, more than one email from me, which most people can't say. I've got a lot. uh, It is also, yeah, we communicate when we're in the same room by email. This is the only (laughs) time we talk. It's only on the podcast that we talk. But your offices are like two doors, three doors apart. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying when we're even when we're in the same room, we will only email one another. There's there's no conversation. There's just nothing to be said. You know, we get it all out while we're while we're recording. And yeah, and and I mean, every once in a while, we do need to email each other links to this awesome set of knives I found in Williams and Sonoma. <laughs> oh, actually, for a while, the Woot item was was 
damn it. Some, some, like you, they're doing that thing where they change the wood item every, every hour 30 minutes so, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Um, but there was a, there was a set of knives. It was just a, a carving knife, a, a bone knife and a fork or something for $180. So it must've been like the God of knives. Um, uh, I, I have personally spent at a closeout store, uh, $150 on a single knife before. Yeah. It was probably roughly that quality. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the Santuco that I have. It, it really has. Nice I know that the on the steel. knife, Ooh, it's wa- it is watered steel, and it has a Chinese character of okay. some sort on the blade. Really Chinese? I, well, it most lo- of the blades. It looks like a are... kanji symbol, so oh, it might have okay. been a Japanese kanji, but you know. Okay, well, back to Henrik's prize for uh, learning. You do get to call Chris. You get to call Christopher Bates, and as a matter of fact, anyone else who call still- him what? Call him on the telephone. <laughs> Matter of fact, everyone else who still has the original version with Chris's phone number on it, you get to call him too. Everybody, call Chris. If you, if you send me a prime, I will factor it for you Wait, freely. You, uh, you can't cor- factor what? primes. Yes, I can. <laughs> You're not Bruce Schneier. Oh, I guess. Yeah, I can factor any prime you give me too. So, yeah. so whatever. Well, I was Take I was that. saying. I mean, uh, I Bruce Schneier can... can factor primes not using one. Well, that, that's true. What? He's well, that the prime good. factorization of any prime is pretty easy. And but if they, what if they give you like one with like two hundred digits? Who said it was a prime factorization? Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm going to factor a prime into four and twelve every time. <laughs> into I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to factor it into football and carriage. Or something. Oh, I was thinking my, blue my, team, red team. My yes. favorite, my favorite factorization, uh, forty two. Mm. You just no. You just factor. You you ask what the factor. You know what's a factorization? Is the answer is always forty two. If Douglas Adams taught us anything, it's that it's forty two. So you guys all only if get the question is important because you know the answer to all math tests. At well, any see, time. Uh, it is it is my <laughs> feeling that if I write down forty two for an answer, I should get full credit. By the way, if any of my students are currently listening to this, <laughs> this not. is not an actual <laughs> method of getting an A in my class. But, uh, I mean, if you accompany it with a philosophical essay that says, if this is a, an important question, okay. maybe... Okay, if one, if any of my students are listening to this, <laughs> please tell me that you're listening, because otherwise that's kind of creepy. Second of all, <laughs> if any of my students are listening to this, if you write down 42 and then a verbatim quote... From Hitchhiker's, one of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books, on an exam, I will give you credit for that one question, but you can only do this once, and you have to be listening to this. If one student listens, and he's going to tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, but it has to be verbatim. Oh, and you also have to give me uh, a chapter number. Well, th- those one student can look up a chapter, tell it to everyone, and, and the quote have... has to be at least a sentence long. But this is assuming such a student exists, a though. <laughs> Tin, Tinstoffel. But you still, have to, you still have to put down... Well, it has to be verbatim from the book. Mm. Tinstoffel. And, and they have to get all the punctuation correct, too. Period. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so we've, we've been kind of wandering here. It seems like... Well, I mean, like, the answer's 42. We should start talking about something non-math. We've answered all possible questions. Yeah, we've, we've answered all possible questions <laughs> on my exam, but it only counts for one question. I thought it was all, everything about math. Nope, no. Nope. Now well, we're just talking about questions. Well, it's life, the universe, and everything, <laughs> so that really doesn't actually include math. Uh, math is separate. Oh, okay. 
Now we just—I was just thinking we maybe we oh, should start talking about questions rather than the answers. Well, I it, we kind of we kind of planned this recording a bit late. Uh, has has been uh, the the way we've been doing these recently. We've been kind of on a odd schedules, a lot of traveling and things like that. That've been and traveling holidays and a bunch of other things that have been keeping things from actually happening when uh, I would prefer them to happen. And so I didn't really have a topic because I just decided this morning that we were going to record. And so I, like, I was thinking, I was thinking, what the hell are we going to talk about? And 42? No, sadly, mm, we're not going to spend Groups of Order time. 42 is an interesting... I'm, I'm mm. sure it is. I really don't care too much about it, though. Is it interesting? No, it's actually yeah, not. Yeah, it's not right. really what's that. The, what, what's easy. the factorization of 42? S- uh, two, two, three, times. seven. Two three seven. I think that it is actually an interesting problem. Um, it's one of the it's one of the two problems. You know, like if you're we asked we're asked to prove that there are no simple groups of order less than sixty or yeah. something like that. And forty two is one of the ones that's a bitch and gives you some trouble. Okay, well, it's not what we're talking about. Okay, anyway. fine. <laughs> and we don't have so, a question, but we know it's not. Well, there. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking of what we had talked about, and we've talked about a lot of stuff on this, I and mean, we've talked about calculus, topology, algebra. You know, Archimedes, Gauss, Newton, and Leibniz. Uh, I mean, those those have been some really fun episodes. But there's one thing uh, that we have somehow managed to go, and this is our 31st episode today. I uh, somehow managed to go 31 episodes without ever talking about this subject. And when you think about the title of our podcast, it's kind of amazing that we've managed to go 31 episodes without ever talking about combinatorics. Probability? Yeah. Ice cream. Probability. How many flavors can you make at Baskin Robbins? Uh, we yes. did, because we had the Monty Hall problem. We did talk about probability. Yeah. Oh, was that, was that about probability? Well, yeah. It's, it's or was it prob- about the Monty Hall problem? Well, but the Monty Hall problem is a probability problem. I guess. Well, it is. It's the changing of probabilities. But yeah, let's let's actually talk about combinatorics. Anybody here willing to uh, give me a bit of a definition of combinatorics? I would assume it's what most people think mathematicians do. Nifty ways of counting things. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. De- I'm going to second that. So say we all. Uh, I mean, that's, that is essentially what combinatorics was for quite a long time. Yeah, I don't know. And that's and that's specifically enumerative combinatorics, which mm-hmm. is the part that we're going to talk the most about because it in many ways was the reason uh we were able to title the podcast Combinations and Permutations because mm-hmm. both those things were developed for enumerative combinatorics. Mm-hmm. Uh, combinatorics is in a much a broader definition. It's the study of discrete objects. Not that Seems like a way broader de- definition well, than I would give. It's what yeah. it's graph theory, but could graph be. theory is technically combinatorics. So is graph theory oh. contained in combinatorics, or are combinatorics contained in graph theory? Graph theory is contained within combinatorics. I would I would want to argue the other way. Yeah, I mean, there's some um, intersection, but I don't know. No, that. you can't I mean, you can't do like algebraic or topological combinatorics uh, necessarily using graph theory. Well, I guess I'm maybe a probabilistic combinatorics is not. I mean, there's some things. Uh, random graphs are included in uh, probabilistic, but I wonder if there's fuzzy combinatorics. You know, well, there there actually kind of is, which Prob- would just be then real analysis. I think Prob- probabilistic <laughs> probabilistic combinatorics is kind of fuzzy combinatorics if you think of it, because you're mostly estimating 
the error bounds or the bounds of the size of things hmm. you're not you're not going to get a closed what, formula when i said fuzzy i meant like fuzzy sets and so you you only are partially in this set you know what i'm saying i'm, so, I'm sure there's some yeah. area of combinatorics that does it because combinatorics is huge now there's yeah let's see true. on the wikipedia link there is uh under combinatorics and that like the sub areas of combinatorics Enumerative combinatorics, analytic combinatorics, partition theory, graph theory, design theory, order theory, matroid theory, extremal, combinator- extremal combinatorics, probabilistic combinatorics, algebraic combinatorics, combinatorics on words, geometric combinatorics, topological combinatorics, or arithmetic combinatorics, infinitary combinatorics, combinatorial optimization, coding theory, discrete and computational geometry, combinatorics in dynamical systems, combinatorics in physics, and phylogenetics. It's what seventeen or twenty some different areas of either direct fields or related fields of combinatorics now. What no oh. Lagrange mm. in there? <laughs> Lagrangian combinatorics. It's the only thing that's missing. <laughs> yeah, I I think that half of that list seemed like it's not its own field of combinatorics. It's just one thing combinatorics can be applied to. But I mean, on yeah. the like, yeah. physics combinatorics, like. Well, that that was yeah, a relate. That was listed as a related <laughs> field, uh, not an actual subfield. So it's it's one of the things where it's just applied combinatorics. You're going to use one of the actual subfields, but there were 16 distinct subfields of combinatorics that are actually separate. And there's a there's a post on the blog that I did uh, recently about how math has become really clicky. And it's, it's split-ups like this that cause it. You, not only are you a combinatorialist anymore. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't deal with analytic combinatorialists. I'm an extremal combinatorist. And I study graph theory. I don't know any extremal combinatorists. I should. They're in essentially the same field that I am. I don't know any. I don't even know what the subject really is about other than what I've read. Yeah, I think that's the reason. People only know they're very limited particular subject. And they, it, you know... Instead of saying, yeah, there's all this stuff that I don't know that I really should. Instead, they say, no, I'm not that. I'm only this thing. Right. I'm, a, I'm a combinatorial same, psychologist. It's a, to, it's a way to justify being ignorant, I think. They um, partition it so that they don't have to learn as much. I don't mm. necessarily think it's that. I think that, uh, I mean, that's, that's definitely something for some people, myself possibly included, by calling myself a graph theorist. Given that that's what I've that I've done research in, it's what I have a paper coming out. It's what I've presented at conferences. It it allows me to uh, just study that, and it does allow my allow me to stay away from say extremal combinatorics, which I don't necessarily understand at this point, and mm. I don't really necessarily want to put in the time. But another thing is that there's even in these areas that are in combinatorics is relatively new. We'll get into the history of it in a second. It's still, you know, not it. It's, it's a field that's new, but it still has so many results. Mm. And in order to get a new result, in order to do new research, you tend to have to bury yourself so far into one area. Well, I mean, that's true of pretty much all mathematics. Yeah, no, and I think that that's one of the main reasons for the clickiness of mathematics. Mm. It's annoying because I would much prefer to be a generalist who doesn't necessarily produce new things but talks about new ways of approaching or thinks about new ways of approaching a problem mm-hmm. instead of actually, you know, doing the approach. Yeah. Making a proof better. Well, not not necessarily Coming making up a with new proof ideas better. Yeah, rather like than how we can tie together these weird related things. Be a generalist. Be I a wonder, polymath. 
not in the Gower sense, but in the old sense. I wonder if if you could somehow use combinatorics to to like apply combinatorics to proof theory or something like that to minimize proofs in some way. I think that some work has probably been done in mm. that in the formal proof sector because formal mm-hmm. proofs are usually something that at least are approached by complexity theorists. Right. And complexity theorists are usually pretty well versed in combinatorics because, you know, they're discrete mathematicians. And and if you look at, say, the four-color theorem, which is a very famous combinatorial proof in that it's in graph theory, and it's actually, that is a bit of combinatorics we have talked about before. We did talk about the four-color theorem for a while. Um. The proof of that went from, you know, 19,000 different cases down to 600-some different cases. And so, I mean, that might be something. It might be because they were combinatorists, that they were able to see a way of doing it. But, no, that is an interesting idea. It might be something worth looking into as well. So if you have any proof theorists out there, any formal proof theorists, uh, email uh, me at samuel at acmescience.com, and I'll make sure that Nathan uh, gives you a shout. Yeah, I don't um, know if Sam can actually promise that. Uh, yeah, but. I can. <laughs> I know your email account, uh, and I will keep on annoying you until you send I, something back. I just don't know that I can... I don't think I can understand proof theory. Like, proof theory is freaking weird. Okay, right? well, like, I'm just saying that you'd give them a shout, not that you'd help them solve anything. <laughs> no, I met I met this proof theorist at a conference I went to once. Um, who had there just graduated go. from Carnegie Mellon, um, because they, you know, in their in their pure and applied logic program, one thing you can do is proof theory and blah blah blah. And and to me, I, I mean, I if you're a proof theorist, you may be uh, about to be insulted. So cover your ears. Um, Don't cover your ears. Just send me very nasty notes about Sam, Nathan that Sam I can would, forward to Sam him. Sam would appreciate some nasty notes. But because Nathan no, is horrible. It He's seems a horrible to person. me really bad. It really seemed to me person. like proof theory is if you can't come up with a proof on your own, you just read other people's proofs, proofs and remark about them and try to break them down into these tiny little pieces and overanalyze them. And it's like, why spend your time analyzing what somebody else did? Because why not do something? Because sometimes you can get very important results that way. And also you can prove somebody wrong and sometimes it's <laughs> really fun. Well... Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. No, but, but I mean, it, you you can get some important results. I can I can understand it. why do people uh, choose to be copy editors? I don't think anybody chooses to be. No, copy no, I, I, <laughs> they're I, like I, dragged, I, kicking and screaming. No, into the I've office. I've worked on a literary journal before. <laughs> there were people who literally chose like they weren't. It wasn't just that they couldn't get any other position. There was a couple people who the only thing they wanted to do on the journal was copy edit. They really enjoyed going through and looking at all the intricacies and picking out exactly where somebody made a mistake and just helping them correct it. There's people who just, who that's how their brains work. They might not be the most creative people in the world, but they're very important people because they're the ones who make sure that shit gets done right. That's true. Equals yeah. MC to the third. Just, it doesn't work. <laughs> trust me. It looks almost right, though. <laughs> Isn't that like a weird rap group with like three MCs? <laughs> Maybe. It, or is it just Eminem had two clones? <laughs> e equals MC squared or MC cubed? MC stands Master of Ceremonies. Okay, so. Uh, MC directly, E M C E E, refers to an MC as in a rapper. I thought it was Microphone Commander. 
Yeah, I thought I thought, it, I thought it stood for microphone in some way. No, it's Master of Ceremonies. Okay. If you're the MC or the Master of okay. Ceremonies. So, um, then MC cubed would be... <laughs> how do you cube ceremonies? What does ceremonies cubed look like? Seminar? Well... <laughs> Panel <laughs> depends where Round you put the parentheses table. on that one. <laughs> oh, I was no, I mean, like like the normal. Yeah, it, Master Cube was that Emperor, Emperor, God, you're God, <laughs> you're God of the Round Table. table. Yeah, I, I really hope God isn't just Master Cubed because <laughs> hopefully he's Master to at least uh, some some infinite I, cardinal, yeah. <laughs> but not a large cardinal. Let, let's let's be honest here. God is not. To a large cardinal, we're talking like Aleph to that, you know, Aleph, mm. Aleph, Aleph. No, I think that that's about as big as I can say. Okay, it. is there a sure. rap group called Aleph Null? I, I don't, I don't actually, I, would doubt. I think that God should have oh, uh, maybe a large cardinal. A, a rap group? I, I was gonna say, God should probably have co finality different than Omega. Um, <laughs> Didn't I give him cofinality? No, Aleph, 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 Aleph zero like has cofinality. Aleph oh, zero. Okay, how about Aleph to the Aleph to the Aleph to the Aleph? That's oh, definitely wait. a rap group. <laughs> You're raising, raising it, yeah. raising it. There's like a suggestion that's box just the, that God has that you can. That's just like in. the power set of the power set of the reels, <laughs> which is still pretty freaking big potentially. Yeah. So I'm mean, sure, but it, it does have different than. Uh, oh, okay. Wait. Well, it doesn't matter. Does anyone yeah, remember what we were talking about, talking about here? Because I think we got lost somewhere. Prosciutto. We're talking oh, about yeah. Prosciutto, prosciutto right? and Manchego <laughs> on Triscuit crackers. It's pretty good. I recommend it. I remember there being combinatorics yeah, way back. Yeah, that's what we were talking about before we got <laughs> wrapped way up. Way back in the day, we were talking yeah. about something like that. Uh, okay, so let, let's just talk a little bit about the basic, um, basic history. History, that was oh, the word I was okay. looking for. History of this, and I'm gonna grab this off the Wikipedia, uh, as as I tend to. He was so, master of all knowledge. <laughs> so uh, it turned out one of the m- earliest, uh, at least earliest recorded combinatorial results was in the sixth century BCE, when a physician uh, named Sushruta asserts in Chushutra Samhita that 63 combinations can be made out of six different tastes, taken one at a time, two at a time, etc., thus computing two to the six minus one possibilities, because he wasn't okay. assuming okay. zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because hmm. zero, yeah, that doesn't make a taste, or does it? Well, it, it would, but he didn't think. I mean, this is 6th century BCE. Okay. They really didn't think about well, zero that much. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, Well, he was talking I, about am, taking these flavors, actually using the flavors, and you can't make uh, in it was probably just you thought, can't flavor nothing. So yeah. so whatever he was flavoring had an innate flavor that should have been the zero flavor. Yeah. yeah. So he did miss one. Yeah, but I mean, it, but <laughs> we under, all agree that under the he's ru- wrong. Under the rules set out. Loser. Under the rules <laughs> set out in his experiment. Zero flavor. In the rules set out under his experiment, he did get the correct answer. Kind of. It's just he didn't necessarily set up the experiment in the way we but, think I mean, he should have. And of course, you can we vary think he should have a zero flavor, and we're more correct than he is. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, only because we have no, the power of history on our he, side. He should uh, yeah. also be able to vary the proportions of these flavors until there's no, essentially no, 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 no. continuum of flavors. No, because we're dealing in combinatorics. And until we get to infinitary combinatorics, which I don't think I'm going to talk about because the general idea of it pisses me off. It's almost uh, like a continuous combinatorics, which is yeah, stupid. shouldn't make sense. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay, and so uh, Plutarch discussed an argument between 
Chrysippus and Hipparchus of a rather delicate enumerative problem, which later showed to be related to the Schroeder number. Or Schroeder. Schroeder. Schroeder? Schroeder? Schroeder. Not Schroeder. Not no, Schrodinger. No, no. Not Schrodinger. No, Schroeder <laughs> numbers. Because Stop blowing been... into the microphone. It was the wave function. Sorry. <laughs> That's what we were going for, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so Archimedes apparently calculated Continue solutions to a tiling puzzle. Uh, and then in the Middle Ages, there were some things showed up. I, Apparently, a rabbi established the symmetry of binomial coefficients. Wait, I, mm. want to, I want to ask a question. Yes. Who was... Okay, okay, I had two questions then. The first one is, why isn't the counting the grains of sand in the universe problem considered combinatorial? Because that was just an error-bounding problem. Uh, he didn't actually... Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's just this in this history. I'm not trying to enumerate every single combinatorial result from but the beginning of picked, time. They picked one random ass problem that done by actually is a well known combinatorial problem. Tiling problems are very well known combinatorial problems. Mm-hmm. In the world of combinatorics, tiling problems are actually a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Now, if they assumed the grains of sand were spheres, and then they tried to pack the number of spheres inside the universe, that would be a combinatorics problem. Yeah, not at randomly estimating and not coming anywhere near, mind you, the actual number of of grains of sand. That wasn't Mm. about actually. He was just trying to show off his new number system. Yeah, he was showing off a number system. He was not showing off combinatorial prowess. And so apparently a rabbi established a symmetry of binomial coefficients, as I said, and a closed priest and somebody else. <laughs> he was a philosopher. A, he was he was a philosopher and an astronomer rabbi. Rabbi. Okay. So there you go. Philosopher, okay. astronomer, there was three rabbi. something there. Yep. Uh, and so, but there was actually a closed formula obtained for binomial coefficients by the Talmudist and mathematician Levi Ben Gerson. Uh, in 1321. Uh, Those are so, probably related, Talmudism and combinatorics. I don't know anything about Talmudism, but we're going to try to stick with combinatorics because we've gone kind of far through this episode without actually talking about anything yet. All right, we go. And, and I, so, I you know, like we we've talked. talked. we've talked about things, but not about our actual topic. I think we've talked a little. Okay, about so it. I'm going to continue talking <laughs> and point out that uh, Levi Ben Gerson uh, came up with a closed formula for the binomial coefficients in 1321, a little bit before Pascal's time. Uh, so there's a little no bit triangle. of... Uh, there's a little bit of a uh, kind of European flavoring to the history of uh, oh. and naming of things uh, because uh, there's mathematicians, apparently, uh, the graphical diagram showing the relationship, which was the triangle, dates back in treatises as far back as the 10th century. Yeah, but in uh, Islamic country. Yep, it was yeah. uh, combinatorics was not done in the European countries until the Renaissance. Really, sounds like they left out some of those combinations of spicing. <laughs> oh my God! Well, Europeans don't use Islamic spicing. So <laughs> they don't count. <laughs> well, they use a lot of cumin now. Now they do, yeah. but that's because they're mixing a lot more. Yeah, that's true. Okay, and so during the Renaissance is when it all really you know came up, and then later on. Because, I mean, per- Pascal, Euler, I think Gauss did some combinatorics, too. I mean... Who didn't? Hamil- well, Hamilton. Gauss did everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hamilton, you know, Hamiltonian yeah. cycles and things yeah. like that. 
And so, and then it really blew up in the last century. And that's when combinatorics really, really became big. And when graph theory became enormous, uh, it's definitely the largest subfield at this point, at least the field subfield with the most uh, original research being done in it. Not differential equations. Of combinatorics. Oh, 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 oh. Subfield of combinatorics. (laughs) I thought subfield of mathematics. No, no, I I wouldn't claim that. See, I don't think of graph theory as a subfield of combinatorics. But it is a subfield of combinatorics. Mm. Whatever. I mean, by your definition. No, because graphs are basic objects in combinatorics. Right, but you do more than just count with graphs. Yeah, but you do more than just count in combinatorics. Well, is that Qbert? Qbert? Qbert, you know, when he jumps up and down the pyramid. Where? Okay, where is Qbert? Is he doing this? Who is Qbert? I know know what Qbert is. Where did this come? What, how did you transition to Qbert? Well, you know, you have a pyramid, and then Qbert's standing there, and you turn your controller 45 degrees counterclockwise, I guess, to make sure that up is up left. Yeah, I always got disoriented yeah. playing that game, too. I know. <laughs> ah, I, I think it was probably a big combinatorial problem. Qbert. How many Hamiltonian cycles can you make through the pyramid? <laughs> okay, so let's, let's talk about For some of the you. subfields. I and uh, we're, we're not going to talk about graph theory because graph theory is actually worth its own show and we decide to finally cover it. I, and thus why it shouldn't be called a subfield. <laughs> yeah, because anything that's worth its own show as far as we're concerned decides yes. on whether or not it's a subfield. So, so let's, the Monty Hall problem is a subfield. Field. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so is the, the, the infinite monkey theorem. Oh, yeah, the infinite monkey, monkey theorem. theorem. That was a good one. <laughs> okay, so let's let's first talk about enumerative combinatorics. And this is, of course, uh, I mean, enumerative essentially means counting. Think, I mean, it's yeah. not directly counting because counting in a mathematical sense really just means adding one to a number over and over and over again. So it's a little bit more. It's enumerating the total amount of sets of a certain type that are possible to be formed given certain conditions. That's generally what enumerative combinatorics talks about. If you think of counting as yeah, no, I mean, it's one just to one with an ordinal under under direct uh, under direct mathematical definition, it's a little bit broader than counting. All right. A thought just occurred to me. I know that this is totally out of nowhere, but how the hell did that guy come up with sixty-three? Because the way that I would probably think about this is each each um, spice is either in or not in. So there are two options, and I would get two times whatever. And then, so he must have he thought didn't to do subtract it math- one. I don't think he did it mathematically. He just he just said. I think he, he probably had so much experience actually, with spices. No, I that, think he probably had six spices, like six big jars of spices. And then literally into bowls, put every different combination of spices oh. that he could do. He just had nothing better to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He maybe was in he the didn't. sixth century BCE, right. man. What the hell else is he going to do? He was a physician in the sixth century BCE. It's not like they had very good things. He was probably trying to figure out how many different combinations of spices he could use to hawk to the fucking people and rip <laughs> them off of money because by claiming that they were all a cure for 63 different diseases. Doctors didn't even claim to cure things in those days. <laughs> yeah. Treatments. 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 Treatments, sure. Tinctures. 
tinctures mm. is a really fun word to say. Snake oil. <laughs> yeah, it makes you think so much more of the medical profession when you realize it hasn't really been around for about 100 years, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. The, the real medical... <laughs> until you're about right, because there's a, a podcast I was listening to about this. I think it was the stuff you should know on from HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to... Oh, fuck. It's... Uh, damn it. Is it Josh and Chuck? I want to say it is, but I have a feeling I'm missing one of the hosts and I'm mentioning their... uh, Yeah, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. Yep, those guys. Hey, guys, I know you don't listen to this podcast because you're way, way up the podcast celebrity ladder from us, but you guys have a really awesome podcast. Why is it a ladder? Why not? Why can't it be a pool? Why can't we all be equally cool? Because like backstabbing, and that's okay, the best way to get on the life. iTunes Why list. Why is someone you know, above top, me? Top, I'm, I should be at least at the top. So, at the so <laughs> it's best to just floor everybody. We're in a puddle. Okay, Nathan, the reason they're on the ladder above us is because when you click on the most downloaded podcast in iTunes, they're in the top 10. So you're saying the ladder? They're really each, cool guys. I mean, rung, I've emailed them. It's they're the rung really of cool, most downloaded or something. So. Yeah, yeah. So your podcast celebrity refers to how many downloads you have, which would mean that Ira Glass is the undisputed winner. Wow. Because This American Life has been the number one most downloaded podcast uh, since they decided to podcast their radio show. And we were talking. Oh, so I mean, this week we could talk about counting the different uh, different ways of doing this. And so let's actually get into our our title. Uh, I mean, because that's really the reason that I chose this. I mean, it's the self-titled podcast, really. Binomial coefficients and permutations. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get directly into combinations. And I'm going to ask Nathan why you refer to them instead as binomial coefficients. Because you said that multiple times uh, throughout the podcast. So, and and it's the same idea, roughly, because. Well, it's exactly the same idea. It is. It is exactly <laughs> the same idea. Yeah. So, what um, is the formula for a combination or a binomial coefficient? Actually, before we do this, we should probably talk about what a factorial is. Chris, what's a factorial? A factorial is just a really loud number, like five. I get it. <laughs> You're funny. Five. Five, as you say, is actually equal to 120 because five factorial or in factorial is that number multiplied by every single integer below it. So with five, it's five times four mm, times three positive. times two times one. Positive. positive. So natural maybe. number. Otherwise you no, no, it's natu- positive. Natural number. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or yeah, positive. Like, uh, depending on whether or not the natural numbers include zero. So let's yeah. say they don't. Yeah. yeah. They have a base case. The base case is usually that zero factorial is zero defined factorial to be one. Zero factorial equals one. Mm. Which doesn't make any sense. But it has to because otherwise... <laughs> no, no, it doesn't make sense the other way either. So. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> it doesn't make any intuitive sense that it equals one. It doesn't make any mathematical sense that it would equal zero because if someone can give me the formula for a combination, it will become quite clear. <laughs> the formula for a combination... It's like if you have, putting something to the zero power makes it equal to one doesn't make any sense either. You multiply well, it, it's that a, actually it, it does make sense to me. A zero number no, of times because, you get because one. it's because exponentiation is a multiplicative process. Mm-hmm. Something to the zero should give you the multiplicative identity, which is one. Well, okay, if you think of it mathematically, well, I, the way they sure, came up with it, this was by by generating a a um, 
Are we talking about the binomial coefficients now? No, or no, no, no. Uh, exponentiation. The way the way they came up with zero factorial equals one <laughs> and something to the zeroth power equals one is they come up with a recursive definition yeah. and then yeah, and then work backwards and find out that well, for this to make recursive sense in both directions, this you know anything yeah. to the zero has to be one, and zero factorial mm -hmm. has to be one. Okay, so what's what's uh, for if I want if I have n objects and I want to make a combination of k of them? Okay, then. You are, it's the same thing as choosing K objects from a collection of N, all right? So it's often said N choose K or whatever. Anyway, um, the number of ways you can do that is um, N factorial divided by N minus K factorial times K factorial. And the K factorial is also in the denominator. Right. Oh, 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 With, yeah, without yeah, being yeah, able to like yeah, write yeah. it on a board yeah. or something, and the and the n minus k is in parentheses and factorial outside the parentheses. Yeah. So anyway, the other way to think of it is you multiply. Um, you you have k numbers on the numerator and k numbers on the denominator. The the k numbers on the denominator start at k and work down to one. The k numbers in the numerator start at n and work down to n minus k. Um, yeah. Or n minus k plus one or it's something. It's n minus. K minus one at, at, at quantity, so it's yeah. n minus k plus one. Yes. Right. Right. So so, um, and I always you you teach people both ways when you're teaching in a class, but the easier one to compute with by far, and the one that saves you time is to just think of it as you have k numbers on the top, k numbers on the bottom, it, and you're counting. Except down. with calculators now, it's actually a little bit easier to just type in the formula, or actually just go to math probability NCR. <laughs> yeah. in comma k mm. close parentheses right. yeah. uh, and so yeah and that's that's the formula for combinations now uh, the other term binomial coefficients and, and one thing that we should yeah binomial coefficients one thing that we should point out in combinations the reason it's called combinations is that this is trying to figure out the total amount of uh, you know ways of getting k elements when you're choosing from a total of n elements or objects. So it's combining and, k elements out of n. But it's a combination because we don't care about the order. Oh, that's true. It is mm. an unordered collection. Also known as a bag. Yeah, now if we want to order... A bag? No, I'm serious. Yeah, no, I know. I was just letting it go because it wasn't funny and I didn't want to pull any, you know... Wait, is it supposed to be funny or is it serious? Is bag a term that means unordered collection? No, it's you're tossing everything into a bag. Yeah. When you, you know, you just throw oh, everything into oh. a bag. Yeah, see, it oh, really wasn't okay. worth talking about. Uh, uh. <laughs> That's why I was trying to, you know, well, we go done. past I, it. I thought that maybe there was a formal mathematical no, definition. The math, def a bag <laughs> is defined to be... And so, so let's let's talk a little bit about permutations now. Uh, now, the term permute actually means to order. And when you permute something, you are ordering it. And so when we talk about permutations, we're talking about ordered collections from a bigger collection. And when you order something, uh, when, say you have like six objects. Let's take an actual finite case here. If you take six objects, you want to put them in, a, in an order. How many choices do you have for that first object? What? You have six objects. You want to put them in order. For that first object that you put down, how many choices do you have? Why, you would have six choices, Sam. Anthony, how about for the next one? Five. Chris? Four. I'm going to wager that the next one is three, so... One. <laughs> Two, then one. Now, due to the multiplicative uh, rule of counting... 
the product rule of counting. You multiply all those together. So in order to, uh, you know, order an object or order six objects, it's six factorial. And so we can use that idea to come up with what is a permutation. So if you take a permutation of n objects uh, and you're taking k of them and permuting them, you have the combinations because that's how many total ways you can get the k collections. And then you multiply the combination times k factorial, which for permutation leaves you with the um, n factorial equation divided n factorial by divided by n minus, n minus k. k factorial, which is really just uh, p or yeah, n, n times p. n minus one times n minus two all the way down to n minus k plus one. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean, and that's yeah. that's a permutation. And the reason we are saying that zero factorial has to equal one, because if you think of you have n objects and you want to choose and order n of them, you would end up with n factorial over n minus n factorial, which if that didn't equal one, would be n factorial over, say, zero factorial, zero, which well, is not a number. You could think of you having n objects, you're taking, well... Not. Well, and we know what the answer has to be in that case. Yeah. It's n factorial over n minus n factorial, and we know that the answer has to be n factorial. Hmm. So we have no choice. I mean, even just from that case, but to make zero factorial equal one. Yeah. But without getting bogged down in the formula, I mean, if you have zero objects, how many different ways can you arrange them? Yeah, that's only that's one true. way. That's what I was thinking. Philosophically, but, but you don't arrange if, anything. That is, is arguable. If you yeah, are whether zero makes sense or not. Yeah, zero or and one. It, both it's also sense. whether or not you're talking about factorials in the mathematically defined sense, or in the sense that it's that's how many ways you can order all objects right. if you're given a certain amount well, of objects. Well, I mean, so if you're just mm -hmm. talking, how do you order zero objects? How many ways can you do it? You can say, I mean, you can. I think that there's no clear answer necessarily. You could say zero, you could say one. Um, and I was taught in discrete math classes to, that, that, I mean, in my discrete math class, the professor said, listen, I know a lot of you will, will tend to think this way and a lot of you will tend to think that way. I'm never going to convince you that, that you should be able to arrange zero objects one way, but this is the formula you have to use to answer these questions. Um, and so... So, I mean, it's, it's just a question that I don't think you can ever convince everyone about. Yeah, that's true. Well, so let, let's talk uh, quickly here about one other very basic... I was about to say, I can't convince... You can't convince people they have zero dollars or negative dollars either. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about one other basic uh, principle of combinatorics. So, you know, the kind of thing that you do learn in the... If you're taking a discrete math course, uh, one of the other things that you learn during that discrete math cycle, and that has something to do with birds. Oh, no. So uh, the, the way I'm that thinking. this principle is most commonly presented oh. to people is that say you got a bunch of pigeons. Say you have N pigeons. The immediate thing that pops into my head is shotgun. <laughs> uh, well, that would the, be a much shotgun principle. This is the shotgun principle. It would be a much uh, more satisfying way of answering the problem. Uh, yeah, it's how but if have you 50 have pellets and twenty pigeons. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about it in the way it's usually presented. You have you have in birds. How many pigeonholes do you have to have, or how few pigeonholes do you have to have in order for one pigeon or for one hole to have more than one pigeon in it. I don't think it's usually worded that way. 
I think usually you're given a number of pigeons and you're given a number of objects. No, no, no. But that's that's an holes. actual pigeonhole problem. I'm talking about yeah, the pigeonhole kind of principle. There's actually a principle called the pigeonhole principle, which is a much broader thing. And that literally, it, the question that it was going was trying to answer: if given in pigeons, how many holes uh, are there? What's the maximum number of holes such that there's still more than one pigeon in at least one hole? Right. And that the answer, of course, is n minus one. Right, because you can't then fit. I mean, one well, unless one pigeon sitting out of the hole, and well, the, no, the, no, the assuming, space above counts no, as a hole. No, I'm assuming that, shotgun, homing shotgun pellets. Assuming <laughs> that that you have to that the pigeon is required to be in a hole. And and this is actually a this is a very basic example of what is referred to as extremal combinatorics. Extremal mm-hmm. combinatoric studies how large or how small a collection of finite objects can be if it, sat, if it has to satisfy certain restrictions. Mm-hmm. I see. Now, the, the example Wikipedia puts up on it is, how many people can we invite to a party where among each group of three people, there are two people who know each other and two people who don't know each other? Okay, What? <laughs> Wait, it seemed like a group of three people, and still there were two and two, which seems to give yeah, it's, me... Yeah, it's, uh, it's a Ramsey-type problem. Uh, it's, you have a group of such that every group of three people is ordered in such a way that two people in the group do know each other, and two people in the group do not know each other. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. I'm looking at my three fingers now. So my, two people know each other. These oh, two people these, know each other. These two know each other. Okay. These two don't. Well, what about these two? No, it's. I think it's at yeah. least at least at least. W- at least one of them is unknown to at least one other. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. Well, no, exactly one, right? Because the other person, the other people know each other. So. Well, no, no, because I mean, it's two people know each other, which is an equivalence relation, and two yeah. people don't know each other. So we're talking about at this party, there can only be a multiple of three people. No, then. no, no. It's okay. such that every group okay, of three so people, if so you, okay. every combination of three people. <laughs> let's bring this back here, people. Right, let's bring right, this back. Right. And it, it turns out that the answer is five. Okay. The maximum number of people such that you can have that uh, sort of relationship amongst the guests is five. For any group of three, or sorry, for, uh, any, for, for any anything in this way, any pro- for this problem, mm-hmm. and then this could very easily be set up as a as a uh, graph problem. If yeah. you look yeah, at yeah, that one, you, I think you have. Be, yeah, uh, I remember seeing such a that picture proof of this one. Every three person subgroup, uh, or every three vertex subgroup of the graph has at least one edge. And at least one not edge. Yeah, it, so that it's <laughs> it would it has to be um, it, in every three uh, vertex subgraph would have to contain at least one edge, but not three not uh, not yeah. three edges. And this yeah. connected component has what? It doesn't have to be a component. Oh, it would not be required to be a component because if you have a three vertex graph. 
you could have one that is uh, one that is not connected, and uh, two that are connected to each other, and then that would satisfy the constraints on this. Uh, but it would not necessarily, uh, that would not be a component of the graph. That would actually be two separate components of a graph. It's, you refer to it as a subgraph, not as a component. Oh, I see. So it's not a, it's not a connected component at all. Well, those... <laughs> you know, I, I was actually trying not to shout out to you know, the other things that I do for once. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> what? Anthony, do you get it? I'm sleeping over here. Um, what? Huh? Okay, well, if Anthony's <laughs> sleeping, anybody else have anything interesting to say about combinatorics? We're uh, running up on our time here. Are we? Yeah, we've already been going for quite a while. Uh, <laughs> you, we, we went talk like about 25 minutes. We went about 25 minutes before I managed to get anything out on this topic. Yeah, today. but I don't... We might have talked about combinatorics a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's enough to whet people's are, appetites. And if you want to know more about, com, uh, about you know, combinations and permutations... And I'm referring to the mathematical principles, not this podcast, or other subjects in combinatorics. It would probably be a good idea to pop me an email. Mm-hmm. Request that as a show. And, you know, in order to do that, just send me an email at samuel at acmescience.com because, uh, one, I'll respond to you and you, you know, maybe start up a conversation. Maybe we can be friends because Lord knows I need new ones. <laughs> These three aren't just cutting it right about now. And uh, also, We're more than cutting it. Yeah, you're, you're cutting yeah, something. We're cutting something. Uh, oh man, I and, will be and so. And so, before we get derailed by that conversation, <laughs> I want to point out that uh, what we would like to do in uh, some podcast coming up pretty soon is we would like to answer some mathematical questions that our audience has. And so, either go to the uh, forum. It's acmescience.com/forum. Uh, where you could still be the first person other than me to post because not even these three people in here deign to post on our forum. What is forum? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'll, start up, I'll start up a post there where it's ask combinations and permutations your questions because we would love to answer some of your questions. We'll try to find actual experts on each subject to answer. So we'll have a bunch of different people. We'll record them as small segments. And so we want to ask your questions. We may even ask you to uh, call in and we will actually record your question and we'll answer it that way. And, or we can just read your questions. Also, if you have a question, you can send us an email at samuel at acmescience.com. And if you have any other feedback, you just want to tell Nathan how much he sucks and tell Anthony and Chris how awesome they are. Yes. Because we all understand the truth. And, and of course, mention how cool I am. I mean, I'm not awesome, but I don't suck. And I am your host. That's, <laughs> you have to say, you are the king of our show here. And if you're the king of two cool people, you can't be so bad. Yeah. You forgot to mention that that they can also, if you if you still have an original download of last week's podcast. Oh, yes. Please, uh, yeah. call Chris. Please call Chris. Please call Chris. He, Chris loves to hear new math questions. Oh, yeah. If you have a math question, call Chris. My ear. Love if you it. need a math uh, question, But the problem is, I will give you fair warning. If you call him once, he probably will call you back. Yeah. <laughs> and like a few days later, I might be sitting in your driveway. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not really that bad. He doesn't have a car, uh, so he can't really travel outside of the city very Somehow easily. he still does it, though. So. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's only to our place. He can, he can catch the bus over to our place. It's really not that hard. I'd, I'd be sitting in your driveway, but I'd be sitting on my ass, like on the driveway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally sitting in your driveway. 
driveway. Not, not like seeing you in a car in your driveway. This is so anybody else, on his face. Anybody else have anything to add <laughs> to this before we before we call it an episode here? Uh, other than obviously, if you want to know more about the things that we talked about in today's episode, you call should call Chris. Well, one, you should call Chris. <laughs> Two, you should probably visit our blog, which once again has a new address from the old one. It's now just at acmescience.com, where I'll put up pictures and links to things that we talked about. And also, I have been putting up most of the time at least a post a day, sometimes more than one post a day on various other mathematical and scientific topics that I think that you would all find interesting. So you should probably go. Check that out. Please go post on our forum. Please email me uh, at samuelatacmescience.com. I, I think that's it. I, you guys you guys giving a presentation or anything anytime soon? You want to plug? Maybe we should repeat all that you said a, a third time. Maybe a fourth. <laughs> <laughs> the, only thing I've, I, the only thing I've repeated Counting the that number many of possible times. ways we can make these announcements <laughs> in whatever order. Okay, that was the first time I mentioned the blog that time. I just okay. keep on adding one thing on top and then re-announcing everything. Uh, good. Okay. Well, I mean, you guys, you guys giving presentation. Anybody have a seminar soon? Want to invite anybody out? Uh, I think I think Nathan wants everybody to come sit in on one of his math 127 classes if you're in the UNLV area. Oh, I'd like my students to come to class tomorrow. Last <laughs> week I had n- nobody come to class for the first 15 minutes. Well, hope I'll, <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to <laughs> <What>? get it. <laughs> I almost used my professor rule and left because fifteen minutes. Yeah, fifteen minutes. Nobody shows up. You can leave. Uh, not if you're not if you're the instructor. That's if you're the student. Yeah, I've never had that work backwards. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, I'll try. To, I'll try to get it released before because uh, yeah. we were pretty sure that a couple of your students listened to this. Yeah. So. So yeah, show up to Anthony's class. Uh, Chris. Chris needs some more people in the math tutor clinic in uh, building seven of the CDC complex i need people to you know contact me in various ways on the internet that i'm not going to reannounce <laughs> the names of why why not because Give nathan a is a dick oh. <laughs> and so for uh, i think we've been rambling here for like 10 minutes just on this <laughs> random shit at the this end the longest outro <laughs> like. So hopefully, hopefully this is at least slightly interesting. Oh, I, I do have something to announce. In January, I will be giving a presentation at the joint uh, mathematics meeting in San Francisco. So if anybody's going there, that is something. I would love to have a little meetup of people who listen to the various different Acme Science stuff. That would be really cool. I'd love to meet some of the people who do it. And if you're there, I might bring some recording equipment so you guys can just be on a guest episode, which can, would be really cool. Can I come? Yeah, if you, can get, if you want to come out to the joint mathematics meeting, of course. Is it free? No. <laughs> is there food? Uh, yes. Is the food free? Some you, of it, yes. You pay for it with your entrance fee. Well, it's a, the entrance fee for students is quite cheap. It's like $45. That mm. seems like... <laughs> <laughs> for a five-day conference. It's like less than $10 a day, dude. It's $9 a day. My and God, I almost couldn't add. You're a divide there. <laughs> I couldn't add either. And if there's food involved, that makes it even. No, you cheaper. get yeah, at least like coffee and bagels. If I was trying to put all this food into pigeonholes, why are we talking about this? For Christopher Bates, Anthony Solari, and Nathan Rowe, we are calling it an episode. Well, that is it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. Once again, as was announced, an really unfortunately large amount of times within the episode. If you want to get a hold of us you can just send me an email at samuel at acmescience.com and yes you guessed right that is my personal email account so your email will show up right next to my sister's if she ever talks to me again 
And uh, let's talk a little bit about what was in this episode. Specifically, let's talk about the music, which was done by SP12. You can find them over at opsounds.org. Combinations and permutations is, as always and as it always will be, a Creative Commons licensed podcast under an attribution share alike license, which means go use this audio, remix it, do whatever you want. Just make sure that you share it in the same way and you also let people know that it's our voices. It's really all we ask. And so, have a nice day and thanks for listening.